0: And if you would mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me once again to the Old Testament book of Amos. The Old Testament book of Amos and Amos in chapter number three. We of course have started the book of Amos in our little series of the minor prophets taking one minor prophet of week. We explored this morning about Amos that Amos was a southern preacher who went up north to try to preach to those folks at the time Israel was very much secure. They were prosperous financially, politically, their borders were safe, they were happy, people had plenty, and yet... They, instead of thanking the Lord, they had gone further away from God. So God sent a southern preacher to preach to them and try to point out their hypocrisy. That the people felt like they were fine and that they were safe and that they were all right just because they went to church or they showed up to religious services. But as we continue on we could find more about this preaching in the book of Amos as God is trying to get a heart and get a hold of the people of Israel to try to warn them, to try to love on them, to try to protect them by explaining what he was planning on doing. And so with that, turn with me to the book of Amos, the book of Amos in chapter number three. The book of Amos in chapter number three, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number one, the book of Amos chapter three and verse number one, the word of God says this, Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, old children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Can a bird fall into a snare upon the earth, and there is no gin for him? Shall Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people be not afraid? Shall there be evil in the city, and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing. But he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, but who can prophesy? Publish in the palaces at Ashdod, and in the palaces of the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof for they not for they know not to do right saith the lord who store up violence and robbery in their palaces therefore saith the lord god an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, in the Damascus, in a couch. Hear ye, and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts. In the day that I shall visit the transgression of Israel, upon him will I also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall be perished and shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end. Saith the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a curious part of Scripture in the Book of Amos, chapter number three? The Book of Amos in chapter number three. And notice with me in Amos chapter three and verse number twelve. Amos chapter three and verse twelve, where it talks about two legs and a piece of an ear. Two legs. And then we also see the phrase, a piece of an ear. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach a curious message just titled this, Two Legs and a Piece of an Ear. Two Legs and a Piece of an Ear. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you and open up this passage that we would ask that first of all that we could see your great heart as you warn Israel and see your great heart as a great shepherd for your people. Second of all we're asking Lord that you would also help us to apply this to our own life that we could see and people could understand about what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish and that they would be willing to allow us to help them. Lord thank you again. For your great care, for your watch care, for you being the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And I'm asking, Lord, that we would learn more about you. And again, with a message like this to make sure we have understanding and people are on the same page, I cannot do it myself. So again, I ask to be filled with your spirit and that you would just simply open up your word, make it understandable, and make a good application for what we're trying to get accomplished here within this church. Now if you would notice that throughout this passage it brings up the idea of a lion several different times. It talks about a lion in verse number 4, once again in verse number 8, and then once again it brings it up here in verse number 12. And all throughout it it is going to be using a picture. Now what is the word picture? What is the thing that God is trying to get across? Well, He's giving a picture that we can place in our mind of a shepherd. And a shepherd who has got a charge of a flock, and he cares for the flock, he cares for of the sheep and somehow some way a lion had grabbed one of these young lambs and instead of saying well that that lamb's gone for there's nothing we can do we could see this shepherd run to the defense of the lamb and grab a hold of the lamb and in a fight a tug of war with a lion trying to rescue every little bit that he can and he comes away with just two ears. Maybe he comes away with a leg. But you could see this this picture of the shepherd doing everything he possibly can, even to the risk of his own life and his own safety, to care, to try to do what he can, to rescue every piece he can from the lion. Now, the primary interpretation with that word picture is that God is trying to get a hold of Israel and he's trying to say, you're in danger, you're in danger. But let me tell you, in the danger that you're in, I'm still willing to fight for you. I'm still willing to rescue every little bit that I can. But I have to warn you, you are in danger. You're in danger if you don't turn away, if you don't watch what you're doing, you're in danger. And very much danger indeed. If you don't mind, let's walk through this passage really quick and then we'll draw applications. Notice again in verse number one. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O Israel, children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now remember that the children of Israel were part of twelve tribes, the twelve Hebrew peoples, That God had brought from Egypt. Two and a half million of them. And... Out of all the people of the world, that he had chosen these people. And because they became his people, he felt, God felt a responsibility towards these people. He had delivered them out, he had brought them to the land. And now he has a responsibility as protector, as a father, as someone who loves them, as a shepherd to the sheep, which is the primary picture that God's trying to get across here this idea of a shepherd and a sheep. And he's watching as his people are misbehaving. And he's trying to say, I can't allow you to continue in this. If I don't stop you, you are going to get into worse trouble. It's almost like a father who looks at his child and say, I love you. But because I love you, I'm going to have to chastise you. And for the child at the moment, especially if the child is rebellious or without discernment, the worst thing that could ever happen to them is dad, get after me. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. But they don't realize that the worst thing that could happen is that the father let them do what he wanted. And let the children do whatever they want. And hurt themselves. And so as a good shepherd, as a good father, he has to warn the people. He's trying to say, I have to bring these things to keep you from going into further danger. You don't realize the dangers that are out there. Notice as he goes on, verse number three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now this is an important verse. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Which we can understand that. How can two people walk together in step going the same direction at the same pace if they don't agree together? If you don't like the person that you're walking with, it's going to be hard to stay in step with them. If you're always fighting with them and arguing with them. But in fact, this is what God desires. He desires for us to walk with Him. But He says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, imagine if you don't mind as an illustration. Let's say that I have someone walking with me. All right. And I'm walking in a straight line. And the person next to me is walking just a little bit angled. Now, at the very beginning, we look like we're at the same place. But we'll take a step, and take a step, and take a step. And what happens is the person gets further and further away from the direction that I'm heading. Well, God says, I want you to walk with me. But how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, we know that God is not going to move. Therefore, we don't expect God to change to walk with us. We must change to walk with him. We must be in agreement with him. We must be in step with him. We must be going the same location, the same place, the same goal as him. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, we must agree with God. And God's trying to say this. I want you to walk with me. The safest place, the most prosperous place, the best place for you is by my side. But if you're not by my side, you're headed to danger. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? You must be in agreement with God. And so God's putting this warning here, trying to Explain to them how important this is. How can two walk together with be agreed? Then he starts giving illustrations here and starting to tell them about the dangers that's around them. And by the way, it's almost like he's speaking to a child and we're going to apply it to children, teenagers in just a bit. But you understand that teenagers don't know as much as they think they do. And there are a lot more danger as a teenager than what they think they are. So, and... See these pictures here in verse number four. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Now for those of you who may not be familiar with lions, lions will not roar until they capture their prey. Could you imagine that a lion hide, hiding in the grass in the Serengeti? They see a gazelle and as the gazelle's walking, they're waiting for him to get close and the lion, get, lion gets up and roars. What's going to happen to the gazelle? He's going to run away. He's not going to say, hey, I wonder what that is. You ever wonder why a lion roars? A lion will not roar until he captures his prey. Then he roars to scare away all the other scavengers so he can eat his meal in peace. He will not roar. So what does that mean? That a lion is going to be quiet until he sneaks up and grabs his prey. Remember here's the picture of a shepherd and a sheep. The sheep has no clue that he's in trouble. He doesn't realize that right around the bush there is a lion. And the lion's not going to announce himself. He's not going to go up to the lamb and say hey you know what? to know? You're in danger right now. He's not going to roar and scare away. That lion is going to wait until he can get that lamb alone. Until he can get that person by itself lion classically will go after the slowest the youngest or the weakest or the oldest he goes after the one that's isolated by themselves we could put a pause there this is why you should never make yourself isolated you need church people around you because you get to weaker spiritually weaker and you're more in danger from that lion that's right around the corner who will not roar until he gets his prey because he wants to sneak up. You don't realize what a danger you are. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Again, it's giving this question here that the roars and the things that you contribute with a lion do not happen until they've gotten their prey. That you don't realize the danger that you're in. Notice as it goes on, verse 5. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth when there's no gin for him? So this word gin carries the idea of bait. So we all have bird feeders around here. Can you imagine a bird going to a bird feeder when there's no food in it? All right. We know that there's some, but here it's carrying the idea of a snare, a trap. Someone wants to capture a bird. And so, in order to capture a bird, you know what you have to do is you have to bait the trap. And the bird has no clue what danger it's in. This looks good to me. Look, someone left it here. It is open. It's free. It's available. And then, snap. And that bird didn't realize what a danger it was. All it says is, This looks good. I want this. Again, God is trying to tell the people, you don't realize how much danger you're in. It's right around the corner. It looks good to you until it's got you. Notice as it goes on. Shall one take up a snare from the earth, having taken nothing at all? Here it's talking the idea of a trapper now. All right. So there's people that trap uh, for a living. My parents raised us in trapping. So we would lay out traps and (laughs) when a trap would get snap, uh we'd have to go check the traps every day and we would go and look maybe we could do another thing back where we pastored before we had 40 live skunks that we caught and so part of my job in the morning is I had to go check the traps and when we go check the traps because uh um, a, um, we would have live traps because a skunk has a, a 10 mile radius that it lives in a 10 mile habitat I'd have to go drive it 20, 30 minutes away. Now I'm teaching at school. I have to be at school at a certain time for meetings and whatnot. So I'd have to wake up early. And let's, so let's say that I wake up early in the morning. I go check the traps and there's nothing in there. Well, I need to do my duty. So I take the empty trap and I put it in the back of the van and I go drive 30 miles away. Is that realistically something you would do? No. Why am I going to take a trap if there's nothing in it? You know, I'm going to leave that trap there until I get something. What do you know? Satan puts traps out all the time. And he's not going to be satisfied until he gets something in there. Why was the trap laid there? For the purpose of capturing something. And people don't realize how much of a danger they're truly in. The dangers that are all around. And God's placing a a warning on it. Verse number six. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people be not afraid? Now, back in the ancient world, they would have uh, walls around the city. And they would have a watchman who had a trumpet. And his job was to warn the city when he saw a threat. Maybe it was wild animals coming in. Back in the ancient world, even in parts of Africa today, lions are a killer. They could still sneak up into villages and kill even in the modern world in those villages. And so they would have to be a lookout and a watch out. So they would be watching for wild animals. Maybe it was bandits. Bandits trying to sneak into the city in the middle of the night to rob and to pillage. Maybe it would be the idea of an invading army. And the goal of uh, the purpose was is the watchman was supposed to watch. And when he blew his trumpet it was a frightening thing. Because you knew you were in danger. You may not know what the danger was. But there was a danger. Well here you have the watchman Amos saying. You're in danger. He's not saying that because he's like the little boy who cried wolf. By the way. The, the, uh, the little boy that cried wolf. That story is a fairy tale. But you know it doesn't matter how many times that boy cried wolf. Every time the villagers were to went because the threat of wolves was such an, a legitimate threat. You can never take it for granted that it was a false warning. That's the little boy who cried wolf. God is not giving a false warning. He's trying to say there is danger. You don't see the danger. You're blinded to the danger. But there is a danger right there. And you need to be warned that this danger is real. Notice with me in verse number um, Uh, Number seven, surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Once again, God is saying, listen, I'm not sending these preachers to scream and holler because I like that style of preaching. I'm not having them preach this way because I like the entertainment. They're screaming and hollering because there's a real danger that you might not see. And they're trying to warn you. Notice in verse number eight, the lion hath roared, who will not fear? Notice it brings up this idea of a lion. And I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar, especially if you're up close, maybe in a zoo. But let me tell you the base of that lion is enough to rattle your bones. God has designed the lions, when they roar, it is a scary, haunting sound. And if you hear that lion roar, it will scare you. And it's meant to. Now, it says, just like if a lion roar, don't you take notice? Once you say, if you heard that roar right behind you, wouldn't you say, I'm in danger at the moment? Wouldn't you know that chill just runs up you even without you seeing the thing? Now, notice in verse number eight, the Lord hath spoken But who can prophesy? Meaning that God is now saying, just like when that lion roars, when the preacher is preaching, and he's warning you of this thing, this is not something to say, ah, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. But in fact, the preacher is trying to say, This is something for you to pay attention to, something important, something for you to know. And of course, it will go on and tell the dangers that Israel's in. They think they're prosperous now. They think they got their neighbors under control. But what they don't realize is right north of them, a country by the name of Assyria, is about ready to rise up. And the Assyrian nation, which is the Nazis of the ancient world, are going to sweep through and they're going to destroy the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom doesn't think they're in any danger whatsoever. They think they're fine. And Assyria has not roared because they haven't got their prey. Oh, but they're going to do a lot of roaring when they finally capture this. Now, God is trying to say, listen, you're in much danger. And Even if you get to the place where the lion comes after you, let me tell you, I'm still gonna fight for you and I'm gonna pull everything I can from you. Now, this is the interpretation. Let's draw some applications from this. The first thing I wanna bring to your attention is that we're to keep the lambs from the lions. We are to keep the lambs from the lions. Now, we understand, we enjoy hearing testimonies of God's grace. Whether it's hearing about the man who 30 years ago during this, or longer than that now, the civil rights movement, he had a preacher come and try to witness to him. He pulled out a gun on the preacher and said, if you ever witness to me again, I'll shoot you. 30 years later, he got saved and became a great preacher. We like to hear stories about God's grace. There was a a famous evangelist who was on death row. He got saved while he was in jail, was Back then, they still had the electric chair. He was placed in the electric chair. Had everything put on him. The helmet. He was strapped down. One minute before his execution, the governor called and stayed the execution. And he was free. He was pardoned. Well, he was saved. And he got his own electric chair. And was traveling across the country. And he would preach a salvation message from that electric chair. Now... You can imagine how powerful that would be to hear his testimony about he was one minute away. Now, we hear that, but let me tell you, the greatest testimony of all is a child who accepts Christ as his Savior and does not have to go through the sin and the toil and the pain and the heartbreak that many of us went through. Now, we have some teenagers today, and let me tell you, I'm preaching to you teenagers now. You are my goal, my emphasis. Praise the Lord, there was a time... That you had the opportunity to hear the gospel at a young age. And the teenagers that we have here, all of them have a testimony of salvation. All of them have a testimony that they've accepted God's promise. But let me tell you, God is trying to protect you and it is the greatest testimony. It is the greatest thing. All of us adults, look at a child, nod your head at them, all right? Now, isn't it true as adults... That we wish there were some things in our life that we didn't go through. That they don't have to go through if they stay close to the Lord. Some sins, some punishments, some heartbreaks. Let me tell you. I'm preaching here and I'm not just doing empty air. I'm trying to say the greatest thing we could do is help protect you from the lions because you are in danger and you don't even realize the danger is there. The snares, the, the, the traps, the lions sneaking out there. By the way, because we want to protect you, this is why we have standards. So what's, what are standards? Standards are guardrails that keep us from going into traffic, that keep us from going over the cliff. Now one of the things that teenagers and sometimes people without discernment is like, why does the preacher tell us we can't do these things? Because we're trying to protect you. He's just trying to take our fun. He's just a fuddy de- he doesn't want us to enjoy life. Let me tell you, we're trying to protect you. By giving standards. By giving guardrails. By saying there are certain things you shouldn't participate in. There are certain things you shouldn't watch. There are certain things you shouldn't do. There are certain friends you shouldn't hang out with. We're trying to protect you. We're not trying to steal your fun. Let me tell you. The greatest fun you can have is a pure and innocent life. That is free from those traps of the devil. From the consequences that we as adults have hanging over us. Even still. We're trying to protect you. And the greatest way we can protect you is by putting guardrails to help you from going over the side of the cliff. That keep you from those traps. To protect you. Trying to say there are certain things don't participate in. Don't do. Don't go. And it's because we love you. It is not because we hate you. It is because we love you. We're trying to protect you from the lion. To protect you from the snares. Trying to protect you from the other things. Now I know we've worked with teenagers for a while. There's always the teenager that says, I can handle it. Rolls their eyes, tunes me out. Let me tell you, you're the one I'm aiming at. I'm trying to protect you. Trying to say you're in more danger than what you realize. We can kind of see where the danger's at. And we're trying to tell you, Behind that brush over there is a lion. And he wants nothing more to grab you and devour you. We're trying to keep you from being alone. I can handle it myself. I don't need anyone. We're trying to tell you you're in the most danger of all. Isolated, by yourself, and vulnerable. We're trying to protect you. We're trying to keep you close to the shepherd. Trying to keep you walking close to him. Because that lion is not going to come and attack a lamb that's standing right next to the shepherd. We're trying to protect you. The greatest thing we can do is to keep the lambs from being attacked by the lions. By protecting them. There's a second principle that we want to hear, have here. Is that once the lion has them, we're trying to retrieve them from the lion. Once the lion has them, we're trying to retrieve them from the lion. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of First Peter chapter 5. And we want to get some spiritual insight on this matter. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of First Peter chapter number 5. First Peter chapter number 5. We talked about the lambs. Let's open it up to more than just the, the young people in our church. Let's cover everyone else. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, be sober. That carries the idea to be serious. Be sober. Be vigilant. That carries the idea to be alert, to be on watch. Why should you take things serious? Why should you be alert? Because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you, you have a very real enemy. And your enemy is hiding in the wood, in the weeds. He's hiding in the grass. He is waiting for you to be alone. He's waiting for you to be vulnerable. He's waiting for you to be spiritually weak. So he could devour you. That word devour is an interesting word. If you've never defined it. Let me define it for you. The word devour means to make disappear. Now if you have a good steak, You could devour it and make that thing disappear. What Satan wants to do is make people disappear. And he's going to work in them. How does he work? Well for church people who are faithful. You know what he does? Is he takes away their Bible reading. He makes it disappear. He makes it, well, I could do it. I'm too busy. I'm fine. And he wants to make it disappear. And once your Bible reading disappears, you are more vulnerable. For church people, you know what he wants to do is he wants to make your prayer life disappear. If your prayer life is non-existent, you are vulnerable. You are more vulnerable than you realize. But after that, as he starts taking away your Bible reading, starts taking away your prayer life, Then he's going to start working on your church services. He's going to give you a convenient excuse of why you can't be at church on Wednesday. And it's going to be a good excuse, a legitimate excuse. You understand? The more that you miss church, the more vulnerable you become. I think all of us who have been out of church, we could tell how spiritually weak we are. And how much it really does affect us. But he wants you to disappear. Then he's going to start making you disappear from Sunday night service. going to make a good excuse. Legitimate excuse. Sounds good. Why you can't make it. Then he's going to take away Sunday school. Then all of a sudden you'll start being Sunday mornings inconsistently here, there. Until finally you disappear. We all do that. All of us say, where's so-and-so at? Didn't they used to be faithful? Didn't they always used to be here? Where are they at? They've been devoured. They've been made to disappear. Satan's a roaring lion. He's our adversary. He's doing everything he possibly can to devour us. To make these things disappear until we disappear. Until we're no longer following God. You know how hard, it, for those of us who have that testimony, you know how hard it is to get back into church once you've left? You could have been faithful to church for a while, but then you miss, it could be a legitimate thing. But how hard it is to develop the habit to going back when you're not used to going. Well, that's what Satan's trying to do. He wants it to be hard. He wants it so we have to work for it. And normally, if it's a take it or leave it, we'll leave it every time. We have to make a decision to go to church. We talk to people all the time and we're trying to work with them. And there's something about making a decision. I'm going to go to church no matter what. Now I could speak from experience. I had legitimate back things. There's been two times in my life where I've been ordered on hospital rest to stay in my bed and not move at all. Because just a little bit of movement could cause my spine to twist and cut off my spinal cord. That's a pretty dangerous thing. And so there's a legitimate excuse not to go to church. Well, that gets a little bit better, but I have a hard time moving and and it's legitimate. But that could make it easy not to show up to church. But there's something about saying, I'm gonna show up to church no matter how bad I hurt. I'm going to show up to church no matter what the circumstances. And by the way, I'm speaking from experience because that was a time I had to do. I had to make a decision. I am not going to miss church anymore after being inconsistent. Legitimate. Uh, very reasonable things. In fact, I heard church people come to me and tell me to stay home because other people were hurting around me because I kept falling trying to sing a song and my legs would give out. And they're like, maybe you should stay at home. So, you know, church people are staying I It was legitimate. But making a decision, I don't care how bad I hurt. I don't care what happens. I don't care how weak I am. I'm going to go to church. You know what God does? He provides something called grace. And that grace occurs after the decision is made, not before. I have to make a decision. I am going to do this. Then God says, now that you made the decision, I'm going to help you. Let me tell you, it's an unexplainable thing. You said God took away your pain. No, he made your legs stronger. No, then how'd you do it? Can't explain it. God brought me there anyways. And once you made that decision, there's a weight that's lifted off. That I'm no longer struggling. Can I make it today? Can I not make it? Now, I understand. I work with people who have legitimate things of why they can't make it. Let me tell you, the answer for you is to make a decision to go no matter what. And God will provide grace. Now, it doesn't matter. It could be someone who's very sickly. There's something about making a decision not to go to church whether you feel like it. Well, if I feel like it, I'll go. You'll never feel good. It has been the most miraculous thing on Sunday mornings. They could be healthy six days of the week. Sunday morning, (gasps) (gasps) I can't make it, Pastor. (sighs) And by the way, they legitimately can't breathe and whatever else. You know, I, I feel for them. But there's something about making a decision God will give them grace, and all of a sudden, that won't be an issue as much anymore. It is amazing to see that happen. But we have to understand our adversary is trying to make us disappear. And he's giving us legitimate things. I understand church people aren't saying, hmm, today do I go to the bar? Or do I go to church? It's kind of a toss up. That's not the decision our church folks are making. But they do have legitimate things. I'm hurting really bad. You don't understand. I do understand, but I understand God's grace that he will help us. Whether it's the idea of trying to witness to someone. Oh, I don't know if I can. Well, if you make a decision, I'm going to be obedient to God. God provides his grace. I never thought I could talk to that person, but I came up and all of a sudden my words opened up. I didn't know what I was talking about or knew what to tell them. And all of a sudden I opened my mouth and all these wonderful things came out. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to a message after I preached to see what I said. Because God provides so much grace. God is able to do so much. But what we understand here is the principle is that Satan is trying to make people disappear. The principle on our part. Is that when Satan gets a hold of them. We don't let them go. We try to go after them. One of the things. Ways that we do that. Is try to make it so that way. They could always feel like they could come back. No matter what they do. It could be an idea of a young lady. Who falls into sin. And now she's coming expectant. We need to help do whatever we can to say, listen, we still love you. We want to be a help to this. We're sorry that sin happened and we want to help restore you. We want to bring you to the place. We want to help you. When people start disappearing from church, it's all of our job, not just the pastor's job, but all of our job to try to follow up. Hey, I really missed you in church. How are you doing? I mean, it's expected that pastors are supposed to call people, but when you have a church folk that calls them and said, hey, I miss you, that means something. To go after them and say, listen, we want you back. Hey, listen, I've got too many other things. I can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're always welcome back. You're always welcome back. Keep the doors open that they always feel. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they've gone. If they need to get some things straightened up, then let them get this thing straightened up. When you get things straightened up, you come back. We'll be glad to have you back. I can't tell you over the years how many people have come back. Sometimes they didn't come back to this church, but they went to another church and they said, listen, we're faithful now. We were struggling, but we're faithful now in this other church. We want to thank you for keeping loving on us, even though we hurt you. That's what we're supposed to do, is to keep the doors open, to keep it so they can always feel like they come back, no matter what they believe, what they've gone through, whatever. We want to work with them. And make it so they always feel like they can come back. If these people are disappearing, we want to try to go after them. We want to do everything we can to let them know that we're going to go chase after them. We're going to bring them back. Now, with that, we understand that we chase after sheep and not wolves. All right, wolves we're trying to kick out. But just because someone is grumpy and bitter doesn't mean that they're a wolf. You know, hurting people hurt people. And there are some hurting lambs that needs people to go after them and let them know, listen, you can come back. You know, sometimes I deal with people and they fall. And one of the things they say is, I can't come back because I'm afraid of what church people will say. Well, if we're on the same mind that, listen here, all of us, it's one thing for the pastor said you could come back, but we have to be in agreement. When they come back, we say, man, we're so glad to have you. Even if we know what they did, we still say, listen, we're so glad to have you. Why don't you sit next to me and be my guest, be my friend? We need to keep that type of thing where the people always feel like they always know they can always come back. That's part of our responsibility is to keep that kind of forum, to keep that idea. Those that fall in sin, we take special attention and try to set it up. One of the Christian pastimes is whenever someone falls into sin, we all get in line to kick, to elbow drop. That's not how Christians should act. Unfortunately, most of us have a testimony of a church that's done that or hurt people in a way. That's not how it should be handled. And then we have this last principle here that we start off with the idea that we're supposed to do everything we can to keep the lambs from the lions. Also, that once a lion does have them, we're trying to retrieve them from the lion. See if we could find them back. See if we could rescue them. But here's a third principle If we do lose them to the lion, we're supposed to do everything we can to save what we can. And remember in that illustration before, the shepherd went after the lion. Clearly that lamb had been destroyed. But the shepherd went in anyways and began to do a tug of war. And he may have just popped out and was just grabbing it and just pulled out with two ears. That's not much to rescue, but he tried to rescue what he could. Maybe he was in there in tug of war and he's got a leg and that lion pulled and all he got was the leg. Now we know that we're talking about humans here. But what the principle we're trying to do is that we're trying to rescue what we can. We know that sin takes a toll. Maybe someone does fall into sin and maybe they do destroy their lives. And that's unfortunate. It's heartbreaking. Maybe they do make a wreck out of things. But we're going to try to rescue what we can. It may not be the pure innocent lamb they might have been. But they may come up mangled and nasty and gnarled and beat up and abused. But we're going to try to rescue what we can. Trying to help what we can. Now this is something that we have to decide to do because of our great shepherd. Our chief shepherd. Our good shepherd. This is his heart. He's warning Israel and trying to let them know. One last passage, if you don't mind. The book of Galatians chapter 6. The book of Galatians chapter 6. And let me show you the biblical principle here. The book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 1. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, this carries the idea that he falls in a sin, he messes up, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now understand that this verse is not saying we excuse sin. Sin has to be dealt with. But you understand that we have the responsibility to try to help them, to keep the open door, to bring them back to the Lord. Let's say some guy decides that he is going to step out on his wife. He's going to commit one of the most egregious sins to commit adultery. And let me tell you, that's a horrible sin. And it leaves scars. It messes things up. You understand, we're going to try to work with him for the purpose of getting restoration, purpose of trying to get things fixed, the purpose of whatever else. Now, as long as he says, I don't care what you say, forget you. We understand that's the state he is, but we're going to try to say, listen, we want to bring you back to the Lord. We want to get you to get things fixed. This is the whole purpose of church discipline. Church discipline isn't supposed to punish people because they did something against us. It's trying to get their attention that you did something wrong. We want you to get things right. And we want to help you. It's not to kick people out and say good luck, but to do everything we said. Listen, we love you. You cannot be in this sin, but we want to help you out of this. We want to restore you. We want to put you where you're supposed to be. Again, so many Christians are destroyed in their life. Yes, they did sin, and yes, they had consequences. But we need to be the hospital for those that are injured, those that are hurting, those that are broken. And allow them to get the spiritual health they need. Not lock the doors and say, go find something else. Let me tell you, you never know when someone will come to themselves and say, listen, I was wrong and I need to come back to the Lord. They need to know that they can always come back. They can always come back. Now, these are principles that we're seeing the great heart of God. God is heartbroken with Israel. He's trying to warn them that they're in danger. He's trying to say right around the horizon, this great lion, and he's going to destroy you. But let me tell you, I'm going to try to pull as much as we can. If you think about history, remember that the northern kingdom of Israel consisted of 10 tribes. In 722 BC, the Assyrians did come. And they took those people hostage and they carried them in captivity all across the world. And they never came back. The Judah, Jewish people from Judah, some of them came back. But the 10 tribes are pretty much scattered. Yes, there's some people from Asher here and whatever else. But that's what God had left after he pulled and fight and he rescued what he could. That he had some people here, some people here. But as a whole... They were devoured. But we see God's testimony. He said, I'm not letting you go without a fight. I'm going to fight lion and I'm going to do what I can to snatch what I can. And if all he came out of those 10 tribes was two pieces of an ear, well, he tried to pull what he could. If all he did was get a leg, Well he tried to fight all he could. That's the great shepherd that he had. He says I know that you're determined to go into sin. I know that you're determined. And you're ignoring everything I say. But let me tell you I'm not giving up on you. And I'm still going to try to fight for what I can. And You may be mangled and destroyed. It may be just nothing left. But I'm going to fight for every piece. That is the great heart of God. And thus that's the heart that we have. Ye being spiritual restore such a one. If we truly think that we're as spiritual as we ought to do, it will be carried out on how we deal with people who fell in sin. That we need to do what we can to let them know we're a hospital. We want to help. We're available. We're available.